And so I think if I could, if I could say one thing to help others on their journey, as you were just saying, or, or to make these decisions, it would be to, um, to know that you can do it and believe that you can do it. All you have to do is want to do it. I mean, I've, I gave up smoking overnight. I gave up drinking overnight. I gave up meat, dairy, eggs, and honey overnight. I might be a different style of individual, but as you're saying, if it takes you a week, if it takes you a month, if it takes you a year, you can do it. There's no question. It's only, the only, only person stopping you from happening is you. That was Eric Lindstrom, Meaty Vegan, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I think you guys are really going to love our guest today. From the moment of first contact, I was digging his energy and I couldn't wait to meet with him, which we did at Cornell University, where he and his wife Jen are currently living, and he even invited Clark into the legendary Ivy League halls to join us for our chat. So who is Eric Lindstrom? Well, for our purposes today, we'll tell you that he was a very fulfilled omnivore, mostly carnivore, who is now living as an ethical vegan. No one, including his nutritionist, could believe that he would ever go vegan. I mean, you guys, this is the guy that would order meat-only platters and steaks cooked Pittsburgh. What does that mean? Well, Pittsburgh means that the meat is so rare that it's actually blue inside. I think you might hear me gag during our conversation when he brings it up. It is so disgusting. So how does a carnivore go vegan? Slowly? One step at a time? Over a long period of time? No, not Eric. He did it overnight. It was the very beginning of 2012 when his wife Jen challenged him to go vegan with her for 30 days. Eric, who was always up for a challenge, wanted to make things a little more interesting, so he upped the stakes. The deal was whoever broke first and ate animal products would have to do the household chores for three months. Indulging in visions of eating meatloaf while Jen vacuumed the house, he was confident that his vegetarian, yet cheese-addicted wife would cave first and he would reign as the winner. Well, all we have to say is that The bet is still on. Almost five years later, they are not only still vegan, but they are raising vegan babies. Eric started a vegan business, and he is fully entrenched in living life as an ethical vegan. His book, The Skeptical Vegan, due out in 2017, documents his journey and shares tips on how to navigate life as a vegan in an omnivorous society while not feeling like you've given up a thing. In fact, he has an entire chapter in his book dedicated to ordering vegan at fast food restaurants. There is no stone left unturned. Eric is throwing himself into his book 100%. He's having it reviewed by several types of experts, a comedian, a chef, an animal rights activist, all to ensure a full spectrum, easy to read, and enjoyable book for everyone, especially the meatiest of meat eaters. He's smart. He's funny, and he's a very talented writer. Be sure to check out his blog. There's a link in the show notes. But the best part is that he's living a life dedicated to never harming an animal ever again. So if you enjoy the show, I think you will. I've listened to it a few times, and I just I just wish I was back in Ithaca so I could give him another big hug. He's so awesome. 
But if you like the show, take a few moments to share your thoughts on iTunes and get yourself in the running to win our October giveaway with LifeStraw. Check out the show notes for all the details. You guys are awesome. Please keep sending us your feedback. Keep the emails coming. We love reading every one of your messages. All right, now sit back and buckle in because we're going for a ride with meaty vegan Eric Lindstrom. For me, um, my path was through going vegan for health reasons, the 30-day vegan challenge kind of approach. And then it became the ethical veganism once I found out all of the truths. Meanwhile, I consider myself an ethical vegan. I don't consider myself a whole foods plant-based. I was telling you that via email. I'm actually kind of embarrassed by that. But I'm a lot closer, I think, than a lot of other people. And then someone will proof my book, which is now in the editors, and say, you're not even anywhere near close because you're eating junk food. And it's just, where, you know, where are you on this whole path? Because you guys are talking about health and talking about wellness and talking about, you know, physicality and, and all of that. And I'm like, when it, when's Chow going to come out with the next vegan cheese? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you know, it's funny now that that stuff's becoming more available and it's better. Yeah. That, you know, when I first started really going vegan, and for me, the last piece was the cheese. Yeah. But when I really started going into that, I was like eating the rice cheese. And this is like 10 yeah. plus years ago. And that stuff was disgusting. Inedible. But I always thought like you're supposed to have a sandwich for lunch. So this is what a sandwich yeah. looks like. And um, Looking for those missing pieces. And I can tell you that since we've been in Ithaca and going to the Green Star Co-op like three <laughs> times a day, minimum, in that's between, minimum. Give me coffee too. Right. Yeah, in between going to give me coffee. <laughs> The vegan cupcakes. Oh, I know. The vegan cake. The vegan brownies. The vegan donuts. I, yeah. I had a cupcake last night. I hadn't had a cupcake in years. See, and that's a slippery slope. It's really available. So we were just talking about the mindfulness thing. Yeah. And it's like, so it's the same thing that we tell people who are trying to get off the, the animal products. Eat it and notice how you feel. So I ate that cupcake last night and I thought I was going to die. Yeah. And I was going to bed. Yeah. Like, what's that good? That's not going to do anything for me. Yeah. So it's the same thing. It's it's putting it in your body. Yes, you're saving the animals, but you can also I know. not have it be the healthiest diet in the world. I know. Because they're yeah. making this stuff so damn good now. Yeah. And and more available. That's the thing. And a lot of what I talk about in the book, too, is is when I first went vegan, I was so reluctant about it because I said the choices aren't there. And I was talking about things that I was trying to replace from my previous diet, my omnivore, heavily carnivore diet. And they just weren't there. And I would say something like, I can prove to you, let's walk up to a vending machine and show me what I can eat. And it's always potato chips, maybe gum, but you have to look up to see if the gum is mm -hmm. vegan, right? So I'm proving to you that you, the options are not there if you're vegan. I'm actually trying to make a point with a vending machine. And that's awful. Like I shouldn't be using that as my, you know, bar. Like the, 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 why am I even using that as my example of you can't eat well or eat vegan? You, you shouldn't be doing it in any way in a vending machine. Yeah, you, you just got to turn your back on that vending machine, Eric. I know, I know. <laughs> I have since and there you go. I'm like slowly getting rid of things that I know I shouldn't be eating. And as I said, when we first started talking, I'm envious of those who find such satisfaction in these whole foods, plant-based meals, and who can draw all those flavors out of those whole foods ingredients to create beautiful, colorful, 
delicious, good for you dishes. And I can do it. I cook all the time, but I'm also the one who's coming up with vegan pizza and the vegan burger, and I'm still addicted to French fries. So, you know, it's, it's again, it's, what are you in for? You know, what are you doing it for? Yeah. So why don't you tell your story? Because I, I okay. love your story. It's great. Well, um, known omnivore leanings toward carnivore. In fact, when I met my wife, Jen, she was vegetarian um, and she took us out to eat at a Korean restaurant. And what I wanted to have for dinner, all I told her was I wanted to have was meat. And in a Korean barbecue setting, you can actually have a plate of bulgogi. It's just a big pile of meat. And it was like heaven to me. Like, I, I can't believe I'm an entire meal surround. I know, right? It's impossible right now. <laughs> I'm making it. It sounds disgusting. <laughs> it's, it was so good. Okay. <laughs> and, and so she would order like uh, a, a sundubu jjigae, which is a hot uh, to soft tofu soup. And I would put the beef into the soup that didn't need to be in there. I just had to eat meat all the time. It felt right. It was part of my, my culture, part of my upbringing, part of uh, everything that I did. And so when uh, Jen approached me with the idea of going vegan, at that point, I was one of those people who didn't even know what vegan meant. Uh, it was more of a cliche than anything. You know, vegans are strange people, that kind of thing. Um, but I offered up, uh, I, I decided to join her in the 30-day vegan challenge. Uh, we were coming back from Arizona. And so we, I used Colleen's book, Colleen Patrick Goudreau's book, as a gauge to see, oh, here's where she was in this journey, or here's, here's where she says I should be in this journey, and never really feeling all that great um, in the first 30 days, but sticking to it. And that was the a most amazing thing, is that I woke up vegan. Like the night before going to bed, I had an opportunity to eat chicken wings. There's an entire chapter in my book about chicken wings, how much I loved chicken wings. I had an opportunity to eat them the night before going vegan, and I, I said, no, I'm not gonna do it. I might as well start now. So I started a day early. And um, woke up vegan and woke up with all of those questions and challenges. And again, that's from a food perspective. That's, and I, I consider veganism more ethical and much more about the animals than I do about diet. You know, veganism is a, there's this aspect of it that's diet based. But, you know, I woke up with all of those challenges of what am I going to eat? And so I made it through the 30 days miraculously, day by day, step by step. Um, as, as if I were an omnivoreaholic, you know, somebody who just could not imagine giving that stuff up. And then, um, the 30th day came around and I realized I thought I could go further and I wanted to make it interesting. And so I came up with the idea, uh, and presented to Jen, let's make it a bet. She was addicted to cheese while she was a vegetarian. She loved cheese. So I knew for sure that we had both made the 30 day threshold and that she was going to crack. And now five years later, she still hasn't cracked. So all of this, my entire vegan journey, my vegan business, my vegan blog, which is leading to a vegan book, is all because of a bet that I refuse to lose. And now I'm there. But I made that, I made the, the connection. And so it's, you know, there's no going back now, ever. So you talk about how it was, I love how you said that it's day by day, right? It's like choice by choice. And on your blog, you talk about an experience that you had when you went to Minnesota with yeah. a bunch of meat eaters. Yeah. Can you, can you recount that story for us? Yeah. Actually, the, uh, the guy that hired me to work for this um, <clears throat> timber frame company, it's a construction company, he was my very first outing as a vegan. I, went, I came out as a vegan because I had to tell somebody during a, a business lunch that I was a, a vegan. Again, not having any idea of what, what to experience, what I was going to order. 
uh, fumbled through the lunch to end up getting a salad, which is completely, you know, ironic, which had walnuts in the bottom and I'm allergic to walnuts. So by the time I got to the bottom, I was having a reaction. But beside the point, um, working for that team, working for this construction team, I was sent to uh, Minnesota to uh, go up to a conference. And Minnesota, Midwest is primarily sort of meat eating country. And all of these guys I was traveling with were, you know, again, carnivores. They, they couldn't wait to go to a steakhouse. And I was the guy, I mean, just constantly being ribbed for being vegan, being vegan in Minnesota, being vegan in a steakhouse. That was just, the line was out the door to get in this place. It was so popular. And so, I sat down at this, you know, horseshoe booth with all of these guys who were going around the table ordering what I used to order. And again, I can tell by the expression on your face sometimes that you're not really understanding how much I loved meat, you know. That well, I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm thinking you're in this horseshoe booth with all these guys. And this was early on. This was within the 30. Yeah. yeah. So you're wanting the meat. This yeah. is what's going through my mind right now. You're wanting the meat. Yeah. So what is happening in your mind during that time where you're yeah, not, you're choosing away from it. That's like, what this is all about for me. It's, it's making those, th that committed choice. I'll always default back to it's a bet I don't want to lose, but you know, in the back of my mind, it's something I had to personally accomplish. And so in that particular setting, as they're going around ordering steak, I would order my steak Pittsburgh rare, which is, means it's blue in the middle. Like, <laughs> it's beyond red. Wow. It's got this strip of blue, meaning it's that rare. So they're going around ordering all of these meat dishes for me that for themselves that I that I used to eat, and it got to me, and it turned out I had to order a salad and French fries, which have become my crutch. You can actually ask. <laughs> I love French if, fries too. So if don't. you end up talking to Chef AJ, you can ask her about my French fry addiction. <laughs> and Chef Robel, uh, Jason Robel, he now knows about it. I was hanging out with him in Toronto. And now everyone, the and now everyone, <laughs> podcast audience is oh, going to know. Rise. Oh gosh, it's, it's, so... it's going to book sales are going to go through the roof so because you're human. And so are fry sales. <laughs> um, <laughs> So they, they went around and ordered all the things that I used to eat and I ordered a salad. And, and the, the funny part of it, that's, it's, it's only funny in hindsight, was that I ordered what was the Cobb salad without the bacon and without the blue cheese. And the salad came with bacon and blue cheese because the wait person thought I was kidding. She couldn't believe that anybody, first of all, would come to a steakhouse and not eat me. And then second of all, um, order a Cobb salad without the two ingredients that make it a Cobb salad. So... Um, it turned out that I basically ate French fries that night. I did get a salad with it, but it's one of those things where even, and this is a, this is an excellent point to all, what else we were talking about, how things have changed. The first really big vegan butcher in the United States is in Minneapolis. It's where my whole vegan journey started that they're now open. The herbis first butcher is open in Minneapolis selling vegan meats and, and they have 70% of their customers are omnivores. And so things are changing at a rapid, rapid pace. And I was all part of that. And I feel like, you know, there's people obviously who predate me by a decade or five years, handfuls of years, and then their entire life as a vegan. But I do feel as though in the last five years, five to 10 years, things have changed so dramatically for the better, for being able to not only think about the sustainability of the planet, but its inhabitants, which means us humans and of course, all the animals. Yeah, I think it's stories like this. I think this is exactly how it needs to happen. People, people have this uh, lack of knowledge of actually what is going on behind the scenes and, yeah. and bringing these stories. And that's probably 
And it's really why we're out here is to try and connect with people and, and share more stories and more stories because everybody is human. You can't, to go from point A to point B and dramatically is, is not common. Yeah. Taking those steps, maybe the 30 day challenge kicked you off and that's great. And you, you even started a day early, but I think for <laughs> right. most the people, 31 day. <laughs> 31 don't, days, don't discount that the day. new program. <laughs> <laughs> but I think most people need to need to slowly move through. And I think as you bring more things into their awareness, they become more knowledgeable, they understand it and they understand why they're choosing these things. And then it becomes ingrained and it just becomes their nature. Yeah. I hope, I feel like, all of us in it are silent partners in this great mission. Um, again, from my perspective, it's for the animals. Is that if all of us can recruit two more team members this month, that's two less you know, meat eaters on the planet, for example. Because I'm always amazed, I'm still amazed, and part of this is what you just talked about, at the resistance, ignorance in a lot of instances, of people who I was, you know, I was there. I was the one who say, I said I couldn't give up cheese. I'm the one who says, you know, I have to eat meat to be healthy. I have to eat meat to get protein. We have two babies. We have vegan babies. And our little boy can lift a Volkswagen. He's three years old. He can lift an entire car. And he's vegan. He's the healthiest kid you'll ever see. Uh, there's no question in my mind that, I mean, putting, setting aside all of the research by the Campbells, and the Esselstons and, and all of those Gregors, all those great guys, putting aside all the facts, I'm living it. And so after that sort of first 30 days and then into that six months, and then even looking back to think that I made it a year as a vegan at any point in my life would have been impossible. You ask people who knew me pre-vegan years or who I grew up with, and they would say, there's no way Eric could be vegan. I'm still getting ribbed for it. You know, I'm still getting picked on for my choices, which I also find very strange. But I've turned, I've turned a corner in uh, knowledge about the, the value of a plant-based diet. And, and again, how it helps everyone. I mean, it truly is the answer to all of this. Talk about the moment that you started to feel a shift in your health. Well, um, back to Minneapolis, there was a point in my life where all I ate for breakfast was... Um, sausage biscuits and gravy um, which is just the greatest flavor combination since the Reese's Pieces Sunday at Friendly's. I used to love just, oh my I used God. to love sausage with maple syrup all See? over it. Yeah, everyone's confessing. Oh, I was a big bacon. <laughs> I was a big bacon girl, and uh, I was forgiving myself as I was rubbing the belly of Julia the pig at Farm Sanctuary the other day. Oh, yeah, that's she's sweet. so beautiful. So yeah, talk about when you felt you, that shift. Yeah, well, you make you make excuses all along the way. Like when I would eat that all the time, I was saying to myself that I'm not even even kidding, I would eat three or four portions of sausage, biscuits, and gravy thinking that I was getting a ton of protein. I'm going to lose a lot of weight if all I eat is sausage. That whole sort of Atkins idea. Mm -hmm. You know, like maybe I'll have less biscuit and more gravy and lose a lot of weight. So I I went through a lot of those, you know, pre-vegan years as, as a denier to a certain extent to just make excuses for what I was eating and, and do the whole, oh, I've only eaten a little bit of, of uh, red meat this week, or I've just grabbed, you know, four slices of cheese off the cheese tray or whatever. So all along in the sort of the first half of my life, I was making all of these unknowingly bad choices. And so when you do hit a point where um, I've had a, I had a bunch of health scares, you know, that I talk about in the book that that uh, could have been, uh, shouldn't have been. I had three friends 
all in their forties, all men all die within one year, all heart attacks. And one guy was a triathlete. One guy was on a golf course. One guy was water skiing. These are true stories that these were people around me who were actually even healthier than me in the fact that they were active, but their diets were not in alignment with what they were trying to do in terms of their health. And so within that first, there's a letter I wrote to Veg News Magazine. So I have a, st- a time stamp. It was published. I said, when is it going to start? This is crazy. I've, I've accepted this challenge. I've now gone vegan six months. When am I going to you know, start to fly? Or when am I going to lose all this weight? When, where are the promises? And the person who uh, wrote the letters back at that point said something about, you know, give it time. And in fact, I saw T. Colin Campbell at uh, one of the Friday dinners here in Ithaca. And I asked him the same question. I'm like, this is crazy. You have no idea what I'm going through. I mean, I've turned down, I've turned down so much to like feel the benefits. And he was just like, wait, you know, it's going to happen. So I would say for me, and I would tell other people, if 10 months, between 10 months and a year, um, you go to your physical exam and the doctor's wondering what kind of witchcraft you're subscribing to because the numbers do not, they don't make any sense anymore. Like you were here, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And that your belt, which was once leather, is now pleather, is now, you know, three notches smaller. You're losing weight without sacrifice. And that's the other big part of this was I've given up nothing. That's where I am right now in my whole journey of veganism is I've given up nothing. Anything that I've ever wanted pre-veganism, I can still have. I can make and no one has to get hurt, hurt in the making of it. When, I, when people ask me, we're having vegans over for dinner and they're all stressed out about making food, what should we make them? And I, I'll tell them, what would you make them otherwise? You know, what would you make your, your omnivore friends? Make them that, but make them the vegan version of it. Just don't put meat, dairy, or eggs in it. And, and you, you realize that everything you've been eating is based on vegan, unless you're just eating that slab of meat. Um, it, there's, I feel as, as though I've, I've given up nothing at this point. Yeah, really. I love how you said that. It's really just a shift of, um, what is the centerpiece on the plate? So before it was, what are we going to have the chicken? What are we going to have? Okay. We're going to have steak tonight. What are we going to have the steak? And for me, my experience was my whole world of food blew open when I went completely plant-based. And I have been vegetarian for many years of my life, like your wife Mm -hmm. um, was addicted to cheese. (laughs) And, um, but I felt like everything just comes together when it's, when you're eating vegan food, you open up the fridge and you can just throw everything in a bowl, spices or everything, you know, you, you just need some turmeric, some curry, some cumin, good hot sauce, I mean, some salsa, some avocado, not all together necessarily, <laughs> or could be. but I mean, really, those are like the staples and you can throw that on anything. Um, and I don't feel like I gave up anything. I feel like I gained everything. Meanwhile, I can now send you two down a evil path. Oh God. Worse than the vegan treats at the Green Star? Yes. Taco Bell. Oh, I, I saw that on, on your Twitter feed. You're driving, you're driving across the country anyway. Now, Don't. hear me out. Hear me out because oh my God. at some point- I'm going to call you. Clark is going to ask for it. Oh, yeah, you should call me. <laughs> okay, so- We're here, Eric. So We've arrived. Earlier, through. earlier this year, not more than six months ago, Taco Bell released their vegetarian menu. And so what they came up with was a way in which their staff could be informed on what this means, right? It's, tr- it's a training thing, really. I mean, anywhere you eat out, it's a training thing. They can make you a vegan meal. 
the server has to want to put the effort into telling the cook, here's what you need to do, you know, for the most part. So Taco Bell, if you go into Taco Bell, you will go into Taco Bell. That's what I'm saying. I'm going <laughs> to, there's a couple more pads I can send you I feel like we down. just got cursed with something. I know. Just put a spell on we're me. We're going to see that Taco Bell sign and we're going to be here. <laughs> you're going to think of me. Okay. Well, no, here, here's the trick. There's nobody in the, in the drive-thru. So you know, you're fine. You're green lighted. Nothing's going to stop you from making this decision. That caveat has to be built in. Cause if you're waiting, you're going to give up. <clears throat> but if you get right up to the microphone and you say two chalupas, unless Clark wants one. Fresco, three chalupas. three chalupas, fresco style. Remember that word. Replace the meat with beans. Okay. You will get a 100% vegan taco, you know, fried taco thing that'll blow your mind. Absolutely delicious. Fresco style means no cheese and no sour cream. And they've all been trained, which is great. They're just like, oh, fresco. Bloop. And the person in the kitchen says, oh, fresco. We put everything else in there. There's salsa. There's guac. There's beans. There's lettuce. There's ev- this beautiful taco, 100% vegan on the road. And so in the book, I've also explained at 25 different fast food places how to order. So you're not just like going in and trying to figure out what to order or what you need to say. There's like a sentence. You can walk in and say, I want this. And you'll get it. And you'll find out that there's vegan options pretty much everywhere. Um, I don't want to like point at the ones who don't have it because I think we all know who those are, but there's a few that just won't budge, but there's a lot out there, a lot of options. A lot of it's French fries, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, a lot of, we, the question we always get is, you know, how do you, how do you navigate this at a restaurant? And um, I would say nine out of 10 times, I just say to the the waiter, you know, just give me a pile of plants. Just tell yeah, the crack it through the garden. The, yeah, the yeah. chef that like I don't even I I'm done making things vegan off the menu. I'm done with the I don't want any cheese. Hold the yeah, sausage. That's a great approach. So I just say um, I'm plant based, and whatever they got back there, throw it on a plate. And I would say nine out of ten times the the waiter's like great, and then this amazing creation comes right. out of yeah, it, like which should be on the menu. And then, <laughs> and then the other people around us are like, I want that, or I'll have that. Yeah, <laughs> there's been many times, yep. and then there was one time um, it was on. Easter this year, right? Because everyone's ordering lamb and I don't know, what else do you get on Easter? Ham. Uh, Oh yeah, ham. Ham and lamb. And and they were just, they just stopped in their tribe. They were just staring at me and they said, well, what do you mean by plants? I'm like, "Uh, nothing with a mother. (laughs) And they were like, I'm like, if it had eyeballs, I just kept going, if it had eyeballs and a mouth and a brain, I don't want it on my plate. You know, and then finally they figured it out. And then I ended up having a salad, yeah. you know? So I don't want people to think that if they, they go this route, that they're sentenced to salad because that gets old really, really quick. Oh, yeah. Although salad is wonderful, but what we've, what we've discovered is like when you go to a place that's not necessarily vegan and you order their spinach salad, thinking it's going to be that like amazing spinach salad that you make at home with a whole entire thing of spinach, right. it's like, you know, a handful or half a handful. And yeah. no wonder people think that we don't get what we need I know. because that's not, um, that's not we're, a vegan spinach salad. We're eating the garnish. That's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're, oh, eating we're eating the garnish. The part? I'm glad you brought us back full circle there. So it really is the shift of mindset. It's like, what is the centerpiece of your meal. Yeah. And if you, I, we always just say, just start crowding it out. You know, there are people like you that are going to go, you know, overnight or even the night before, and they're going to, they're going to go vegan a hundred percent. But most people are really fearful and especially athletes because we feel like we need that yeah. protein. And, um, you know, the, this idea of, of all this protein, we, we have way too much protein in our diet. I know. And if you don't use it, it just metabolizes and it becomes fat. It yeah. gets stored. 
So you actually get fat from these high protein diets. Yeah, and uh, when I was again newly vegan, I I met a woman who's who was raw vegan, hundred percent raw vegan, and that to me was even that's vegan level eleven, right? That's above where everyone else is. Um, and I asked her that question. A new vegan will ask this question as much as an omnivore asks a question. I'm like, where do you get your protein? I was sort of dying to know, and and her answer, which I'll never forget, was, I never think about it. And that's it. And as soon as she said that, you know, this many years later, that's my response to everyone. I will never count my protein. <laughs> I don't, I'm doing great. I feel great. I look great. I have good, you know, uh, uh, medical visits, doctor visits. I'm not going to stress about it. The carnivores and omnivores are stressing about our protein enough for us to not have to. It was just, I think it's just built up and it's just, it's just two in people's faces yeah, about stuck. protein, it's protein, stuck. protein. Yeah. It's stuck. <laughs> And we, we went to the farm and you look at every animal there on the farm, they're all plant-based yeah. and they are huge. These cows are enormous. Yeah. The pigs are enormous. Right. Elephants are enormous. They're getting their protein. Gorillas. They're getting their, gorillas. <laughs> they're getting their protein. You know, I personally have thought about it myself. You know, I need to get this amount of protein to bodybuild and to get stronger, but I don't worry about it that much anymore. And I'm out there performing ultra endurance events and races and it's just, it doesn't even cross my mind. I was doing these, uh, the series of interviews with Tom Campbell when the Campbell plan came out, his book had just come out and I was doing these short little three minute sort of Q and A's with Dr. Campbell. And one of the, the, the questions is about protein. And it turned out the day before I was at a restaurant where I heard the first time something that I'll never forget, which fits into this exactly is the woman, uh, the wait waitress was taking orders, going around the table, taking orders and then got to the vegan person who was with me and asked her, what are you going to have for your protein? Because everyone else was ordering, you know, off the omnivores menu. And, and that was just such a strange question because it's all, what do you mean? It's all there. I'm getting the pro. What, I'm, what do you mean? Like, what do I want for my protein? It's give me my meal. There's protein in that. And so you do take any of those meals, like the ones you're talking about where the, the chef goes over above and beyond and creates this beautiful, plant you know extravaganza it's loaded with protein there's more than enough protein in that i i don't even like talking about protein to tell you the truth i it's like i don't like talking about it because i don't i don't feel schooled in it because we never do talk about yeah, it you know right. i never even worry about it and we've had really extensive blood work done and we're tip top and all those things i mean and and it goes without saying that cholesterol is you know it's yeah. a non issue I, know. I i truly believe that heart disease is is an option. Yeah. And to get back to, you were saying you had three people that you knew that died in one year and one was a triathlete. We had um, my cousin on the show and her husband, 42 years old, died on the swim of a triathlon. And this guy was doing the MS-150. He had done it the week before. And, you know, but he had, you know, looking back, he had all the markers. Yeah. Just because you're a triathlete, just because you're a swimmer, a rock climber, a cyclist, whatever it is, it doesn't mean that your heart is healthy. Yeah, I know. So it's really important to watch those numbers because there is an easy, non-pharmaceutical way to get those numbers down. <laughs> right. Enjoy Quickly. Yeah, quickly. Quickly. So talk about when this, because this is one thing that I didn't see on what I read on your website. Talk about when it went, it shifted to the animals for you. Yeah, the same job. So it was early on in my veganism. Uh, within a few months, I was, the company was located in Pennsylvania. And so I'd have to drive through the country to get there. And 
again, I'll never forget, and I told this story to Amy Hamlin too, um, the moment that I saw a herd of cows and they weren't food to me like they had been at some point in my life. Not that I wanted to walk up to them and eat them, but I would say, you know, they're producing milk or they're going to become steak. You know, that there's animals are, are at farms for a reason. And on this one, one drive, because at night I think I saw her at Friday dinner, and I remember just looking at the hill and seeing uh, sentient beings. I remember seeing happy animals, seemingly happy, <laughs> grazing, you know, uh, communal, ha- uh, spending time with each other. Um, big dogs, you know, I, I've got a dog, I wouldn't eat my dog, why would I eat a cow? And so I, I pulled over and actually just watched them for a while. It's that whole thing that you were talking about at the farm sanctuary, where if you spend time, intimate time, or what John Stewart said, where it's harder to eat them when they have a name. If you spend time knowing that each one of these animals wants to live, has a will to live, is is afraid, you know, or or not afraid, and wants to be loved, every single one of them, there's not... There's not a single animal in the animal kingdom that doesn't want a certain level of affection or respect or, you know, attention. And so these cows on that particular trip, which I've seen a million times living in upstate New York, you're you're constantly surrounded by them. These cows suddenly had a personality to me, like each one of them was uh, an individual. And that day I went to to work and got an invite to a, um, a festival in Buffalo. It was the pork festival or something right and the top of the poster and this is this to me was the the whole happened in one day but this to me was that big turning point the headline said now with more pig and it was supposed to be funny like there's a pig you know with his thumb up like saying come to our pork festival now with more pig and i found that to be so crass i found that to be so upsetting to me that they set all of that aside they set all of their feelings aside uh, uh for these animals and after that, one by one by one, I could see somebody eating uh, meat off a bone, and I still cannot believe that people chew meat off of bones and not make that connection. But I did. I was there. But it's it's so foreign to me now. That every single year, that another perfect example is our little three year old who who uh, if he were here right now, we would say, "Do you eat animals?" And he's like, "We don't eat animals. Like, why would you eat animals?" you're taught this, you're taught to eat animals, you're taught that you need the protein from an animal. That the people think that we've evolved to eat animals, it's the exact opposite. We're evolving to not eat them. Form cave people, whatever, paleo people, they had to survive. And if survival meant eating something that had just fallen over dead or you hit it with your, your club or something, that's a matter of survival. We can easily survive with all the goodies they have at Green Star and, and Taco Bell. Don't forget Taco Bell. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think we're evolving to not eat it. I think that for everybody's sake, we're all going to get there. It's just a matter of time. And then and sort of pushing aside the negativity, trying to uh, have a positive message about it, you know, so it's more encouraging. So people want to try it. People aren't turned off by it. When people realize that the basis of a cupcake is not that it's supposed to taste like eggs. I mean, it never was. Why are there eggs in cupcakes? There's absolutely no reason anymore. So all of those things are, to me, evolving in a positive way. And if you look at just our structure, like our the structure of our mouth and our jaw and yeah. the musculature, we are not meant to tear flesh. Yeah. 
I went to a uh, Summerfest, actually. I, I met Milton Mills, Dr. Mills, and he does the whole thing on we are herbivores for so many reasons, just grazing. We're supposed to be grazing. You know, we're not attack creatures. And he used me as an example. He's not a very big guy, tall-wise. And uh, so he used me as an example. He had me stand up on the stage to see if he could attack me. And he's not, he's not able to. You know, he's not able to. He has no claws. His haunches aren't in a way that he can... Leap, Explosive. yeah, he, yeah, he can't get that power mm-hmm. to knock me over, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so oh, there's many, many examples of our, the length of our digestive tract versus the length of a digest, digestive tract of a carnivore. Um, none of it makes any sense uh, to me at this point, and I really want, and this is what I want this book to do too, is I want uh, the average person to read it and and sort of see that that I went through this journey uh, from on so many levels, and that they could too, and it's. It's enjoyable. You know, it's worth it. So who would you say your main audience is for your book? Uh, it's, I would, honestly, I'm uh, rather active on Facebook. And so there's a lot of Facebook pages committed to veganism. And I see more and more spouses or relationships where one half is unwilling to go vegan. And it causes, I can't imagine the amount of stress it causes in a marriage or in a close relationship. I can't imagine the, the uh, vegan head of household having to make meals for a spouse, partner, or kids that involve meat, feeling as though I have to make this person happy by making them meat. I could never cook meat. So. I, I just, I'm going to interrupt you for one moment. I just got finished with a session with somebody talking about this very same thing. Yeah. And she said they literally put up like books and like dividers in the kitchen because she's at a point where she can't even look at the meat anymore. And like for BJ, BJ was a little bit behind me on the meat. And I just said, I'm not going to cook, cook it. it I, I'm not going to cook it anymore. I can't with the smell in the house. Yeah. It's just like a dead animal. Like it's, it's dead putrefying animal. <laughs> flesh cooking on my stove and I can't do it anymore. So I just, I shut them down. Um, it took me a little longer. I started to go to Whole Foods and buy it pre-made in the deli section and then i would not buy the chicken i would start eat salmon pre-made like yeah. i wouldn't could bring it home and then eventually it just sort of fell away that's great so for me it transitioned a little bit but i didn't want to cook it either i got to a point where i just yeah yeah didn't so want to cook it yeah so go on if that's a big enough market for this book then that's the primary audience is that one half of a relationship would buy this for the other half or one half would buy it and read it um we were talking about john joseph's book which um uh has been mentioned by our publisher as a possible sort of market segment, guys going vegan kind of thing. Uh, Main Street Vegan, uh, Victoria Moran, who is going to actually read the book for me and uh, provide a blurb, which is amazing. Uh, Her book is a lot of that sort of commoner's language about going vegan. I read it. um, I had just turned vegan. So I was like, oh, I know all this already. But still, it it was a way in which people could understand it. Lay people could understand it. And so this book sort of fits in between John Joseph and Main Street Vegan to show that uh, in my case, it's a guy, it could be written for anyone or read by anyone, but I'm a guy who uh, went vegan overnight, went from you know omnivore, carnivore to herbivore and my entire journey. So I think that getting others to go consider veganism, to consider vegan from a dietary perspective, perhaps is the starting point and then letting the rest figure itself out. Like I talk about getting rid of all of your things. You don't have to get rid of your things, but then you're not vegan. (laughs) I have to do that whole, like what level of vegan are you? But, um, so yeah, I think the market is, um, people who, uh, want to 
convince or show people that you can go vegan in this day and age. Um, and then because of, of my business, my vegan business and the co companies that I do work with, I'm really hoping that, um, they all pick up on it too, that they, because not only are they mentioned in it as part of my journey, but that they understand that, Hey, this is a, a great guidebook, um, for, for our products, for what we do for the whole mission. Um, I went out to Anaheim to the, uh, natural products food expo and met all of the leaders of all of the top companies. And so many of those are innovators in the vegan and uh, plant-based community. And so being, being with them, realizing how committed to their mission they are and how they're creating these products because they know where things are headed. We can't keep going down the path that we're going down. Um, makes, I think what I'm writing more meaningful that it's, it's funny, you know, it's, it's supposed to be funny. It's uh it's a memoir and, and it's all of the foil, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of going vegan. Um, but overall the message, uh, through the book is that you can do it and it's, and now's the time. I mean, don't wait. Cause it's that whole thing about, you know, the only thing people regret about going vegan is that they hadn't done it sooner. Yeah, absolutely. That's how, I mean, that's how I feel. I look back at all that cheese that I ate and <laughs> I mean, not only for the animals, but my heart. Yeah. I do remember a time in my twenties, I had some blood work and my cholesterol was high. Yeah. In my twenties, yeah. I didn't do anything about it. Cause I was like, oh, uh, I refused to think that there was anything wrong with me at that point in my life. Yeah. Now it's, <laughs> I mean, cholesterol is, is a non issue mm -hmm. completely. And what's the name of the book? Oh, do you know about that story? No. no. Oh, do tell. <laughs> well, by the time that, when's this going to broadcast? That depends on the, what the name is going to be. So they found, <laughs> this publisher in New York City found my blog, meatyvegan.com. And that's where I've written reviews of, of products. That's where I've written my own perspective of going vegan. I've also written some pretty hilarious satire, sort of like the onion kinds of articles, but based uh, yeah, on veganism. I love the one about how the vegans are, Isn't, we're like killing ourselves because we're not getting what we need. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> the vegans are dying uh, in mass numbers. It's very onionish. Yeah, you're yeah. writing, I just want to say your writing is, it's so it's so easy to yeah. um, to take in and want more of. Yeah, so this is, I really look forward to this book. Yeah, it's called Chirpy. Someone said my writing is Chirpy. So it's, <laughs> but anyway, so if the book were called The Meaty Vegan, I would be elated. Um, they were going for the reluctant vegan, which is how I started. I have a shirt that says the reluctant vegan because I was reluctant about going vegan. Well, lo and behold, this year coming up alone, there's two, there's a podcast called the reluctant vegan out of the UK and there's a cookbook coming out called the reluctant vegan. So I flagged this to my publisher to say, Hey, maybe we could go back to meaty vegan. So we ended up <laughs> coming up with a list of 20, me and a bunch of vegans crowdsourced the idea of what should this book be called came up with a list of 20 ideas which i all thought were great they ended up coming back to me with the skeptical vegan and that's what it is today so we'll see i think it's going to be great <laughs> yeah, i think it's great so tell us a little bit about um your vegan business you've mentioned that oh, yeah. a few times yeah well uh two years ago my background is in marketing i owned a advertising agency for almost 20 years 18 years and then went from contract to contract, like with Gimme, Com uh, Gimme Coffee and this uh, timber frame company in marketing, becoming director of marketing, vice president of marketing, et cetera, et cetera, helping other businesses grow. Um, and then a couple of years ago with uh, our second baby on the way, my schedule to have to travel for work, I, I wanted to be able to have a, a better control of my own schedule. So I started my own firm again. And I started Thank Tank Creative, which is 
a 100 percent vegan owned uh, marketing firm. And so we only work with vegan, socially just and environmentally conscious companies. So here I was able to take my background in marketing, graphic design and uh, writing and all of that and apply it toward my principles, which is amazing because now I can the clients that I have, one of the first clients I had was Miyoko's Kitchen, which is Miyoko's uh, cheeses. Um, and I do all, did all the work for Plant Pure Nation, which was like the follow-up film to Forks Over Knives and did work with Tom and Colin because of my business. Um, but being able to come in and uh, do work for this mission, I, I talk to anybody and you can hang up the phone saying, thank you for all you do for the animals and not feel like a weirdo, right? Because we're all in it together. Um, so <laughs> so our, our, our mission is about helping companies that are helping others. Um, and we've been incredibly fortunate. I mean, just doing an amazing amount of work. You can look at our website uh, on thinktankcreative.com and, and you'll see the our work page and you'll see the long, long list of clients that, that we've been very fortunate to have worked for. And we won't work for companies that don't fit that model, which is the absolutely blessed part of this, is that if someone came to us with a fracking company or some other thing that we don't want to promote, we don't have to. And that's just been so wonderful. You know, this podcast is all about the birthplace of this and, and saying, okay, what's gonna, what is this about? Like, who, who are we going to bring onto the show? And the thing that came to me was just people who are looking, finding, and living their purpose, yeah. right? To to let people know that it is possible. And look at what you did. You took a marketing company and your your ethical veganism and you melded them together into a highly successful endeavor. Yeah. And, and now, so anything yeah. is possible. And when you're living that purpose, it is provided for you. When you're in alignment, it comes. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason why we should be sitting here in the, I'm going to call it the Cornell Library, <laughs> in the Cornell it. Library um, with you right now. But it's connections yeah. and following what we feel is in alignment for us. And now we get to share your story with, you know, everyone who listens to this and and maybe Maybe one person will hear oh, one yeah. thing. And, yeah. but, and that's, it's just about putting so. it out there. Yeah. yeah. But the trickle effect is huge. I, uh, I mentioned my nutritionist in the book a couple of times. She was my nutritionist when I was a meat eater. And so she was trying to get me to eat healthier foods and more vegetables and all of that. And I saw her a couple of weeks ago and I told her the couple of places in the book where I quote her or mention her. She made me a cake out of meat for my birthday when I turned 40. <laughs> Well, it had mashed potato frosting. It's like a shepherd's and, pie. Yeah, right. Like a shepherd's yeah, was, pie cake. Yeah, okay. So you get the idea. <laughs> oh, um, definitely. But, but she said, she she was somebody who said, I, I can't believe you're vegan. Like she still to this day cannot believe this same guy is 100% vegan. And then she went on to say, and you've made it your life. Because between the business and the blog and the book, um, I've taken all of that opportunity, which it was handed to me in a sort of serendipitous, strange manner and turned it into something that's so meaningful to me, that's so important to me and have made so many connections like we're now connected. You know, that this whole community of, of plant-based practitioners and vegans and uh, raw vegans and all of us, are, we're all in this together. And it's just, it's been such an incredible journey, even so far. It's, it's such a mighty group. I was going to say, like, back to that point of, of how you got here, you didn't plan this. You didn't write no. up a business plan and say, like, I'm going to be a, a vegan business. <laughs> right, owner. right. So I think back to the purpose of the podcast, it's 
it's keeping all channels open. Just just be in the moment where you are. The 30-day challenge came up and you didn't know what was going to happen after that. Yeah. So when people ask, you know, how can I make a change or how can I start making a change for myself? You don't have to know the answer. You don't have to know the end point. You just need to do one thing yeah. in every day. And if there's anything that you can recommend to anybody out there that how can I begin to make a step yeah, towards but, that, that direction? butterfly effect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, again, for me, I'm, I'm a little bit outspoken. I'm not always popular, but I'm always uh, sort of tenacious or, or steadfast in my messaging. And so I think if I could, if I could say one thing to help others on their journey, as you were just saying, or, or to make these decisions, it would be to, um, to know you can do it and believe that you can do it. All you have to do is want to do it. I mean, I've, I gave up smoking overnight. I gave up drinking overnight. I gave up meat, dairy, eggs, and honey overnight. I might be a different style of individual, but as you're saying, if it takes you a week, if it takes you a month, if it takes you a year, you can do it. There's no question. It's only, the only, only person stopping you from happening is you. Yeah, you're, you are your greatest limiter. We yeah. are our greatest limiters for sure. And it's just taking it step by step, decision by decision, choice by choice. And when you're mindful about your choices, when you're paying attention to how you're moving through the world, you get to ask yourself, is this in alignment with how I want to live? Yeah, yeah. And most people are are literally, it's like dawn of the dead. Like <laughs> it really is. Like it's, it's zombie land. Mm -hmm. And it's, I have a lot of compassion. For, I used to live like that, you know? I mean, part of me used to live like that. It's just paying attention to how we spend so much time pointing the finger and looking out at other people. It's yeah. time to just turn the eyeballs to the other side and look in yeah. and see how you're moving through the well, world. We were mentioning the Rich Roll podcast. Rich Roll is a perfect example too. He was late, he was in his forties yep. when he made a complete turn. And the podcast we were talking about, he was interviewing Steve-O, who was probably the most addicted, you know, alcoholic person on camera, on film of all time, who's now hundred percent sober, who's one hundred percent ethical vegan. So he was somebody who, when I met him for the first time, I realized that anybody, if Steve-O can do it, anybody can do it. And so you just, you commit yourself to how you want to live your life and you do it. That's yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a great story. And, you know, Steve-O is well known for all of that, but he's also well known for something else that you shared with us earlier, Eric. <laughs> yes. He was my wife's prom date. <laughs> um, yeah, little, little known fact that they both went to high school in London, uh, the American school in London. So, yeah, if you Google uh, Steve-O's past, you'll see that he lived in London for those four years. And that's the years that he took the downturn, I guess. He became a skateboarder in London. Wow. Uh, he went there sort of more as a nerd and left a jackass. <laughs> well, it's a good thing that she didn't stay with him because no, you've know. been able to bring these. Um, None of this would have happened. No, I know. And you, you wouldn't have brought these um, little vegan beings in, in oh, the world. So we've got a lot of parents who listen to this. How are you doing it with them? How are you creating? I always say create the healthy palate as soon as they come out of the womb. I, I hope, you know, actually, I'll take back my other answer to what I would tell anybody. I would tell anybody to raise vegan children, uh, even if you're not vegan. Give them a head start on a healthy future. Give them a head start on compassion. Because there's no question in my mind that our, our babies, uh, Cooper's three and a half and Paisley's one and a half, um, they know the drill, they know what's going on and they truly do. And he, uh, 
again, a three and a half year old boy won't eat the cake at the birthday party at the school because he'll say, oh, I can't. It's vegan. It's not vegan. Uh, he knows he doesn't eat animals. Um, he's getting they're both getting this opportunity. They drink milk like nut based milks like you can't believe a gallon a day. He's just pounding milk. It's got everything that the dairy milk was supposed to have in it, which, by the way, is the worst thing you could ever possibly give your kid. But raising vegan kids um, is so rewarding. It's like I, I seriously, because if you could just think about every single person who at some point made a, a wrong turn, you know, when they're giving their three year old bacon and that big gulp soda, um, you know, don't just pay attention to that. That's what's most important. That next generation. Yeah. I mean, that's the future. And, and, um, we were serving somebody up a green smoothie the other day over at farm sanctuary. And I don't think she had had a green smoothie ever, ever. And I said to her, she was like, do you guys, you guys really eat like this? Like all the time. And, um, she said, I, you know, I just couldn't imagine eating this healthy. And I said, but I couldn't imagine any other way, right? It becomes your, your lifestyle. And so when I look at a green smoothie, um, when I eat that, I, when it's so vibrant or I look at that beautiful salad with like purple cabbage and spinach and red tomatoes, I'm like, that's in me. That's in me now. Yeah. Like my insides are that colorful and beautiful. <laughs> I always yeah, think about I eat the that. the rainbow. Like, the, yeah, my insides are like beaming and looking for the pot of gold because the, it's just, it's so vibrant. The other real life example of it is we'll go out to eat with other parents and uh, Cooper will just eat all the vegetables. He'll grab everything, grab the broccoli. He doesn't even look. He just shoves it all in his mouth. And the other parents are struggling to get their kids to eat chicken nuggets or pizza or whatever. And they're like, how do you get your kids to eat vegetables? That's the only thing they eat. It's the only thing they eat. What else? I mean, what do you mean? Do they need it for survival or whatever? They love vegetables. That's, I mean, he'll run to the kitchen and ask for broccoli. What other kids are doing that? I find that to be the most rewarding part. I, I also find you and your wife eat vegetables. So it's, it's surrounding yeah, them. Yeah. And, and oh, yeah. a lot of the instances we see, the parents are not... The example the you exa- set. The yeah. example you set. But, but, you know, maybe it's easier in the moment. Maybe they'll stop crying or maybe maybe yeah. it's, it's what they're asking for at that moment. So I feel like being good examples yeah. really trickles down. And having the right foods on hand, too. That's a big trick. Is if you have a bowl of apples in your table, they'll grab an apple. You know, if you have a, a bowl of chocolate, they'll grab chocolate. So, you know, we make sure that uh, it turns out uh, we also have a gluten-free household. So we're gluten-free vegans. And so everything in the house is that clean. But there's also the vegan junk food because some of it's vegan. I mean, gluten-free and vegan. But nobody's harmed nobody's in the making harmed. of that, <laughs> that vegan excuse. junk food. Oh and can you please give me... The reason why all gluten-free bread has eggs in it. Although yeah. I did see a, a, a brand down at Green Star that doesn't. So maybe it's starting to happen. But what have you found with that? Because I it's love crazy. bread yeah. and it always has egg whites in it. Such a bummer. So it's too gluten-free and vegan. Yeah, you yeah. want yeah, yeah. egg-free. Yeah. It's please. tough. Well, it turns out um, the one brand that you might have seen is in a white bag. Yeah. It's from Canada. Yep. It's outstanding. It's Ooh. absolutely the best bread we've ever had. We should get some. Yeah, you have to try it. Just it eat, eat a loaf in the car. You could. I mean, it's it's like Wonder Bread. It's like stretchy, good, delicious bread. Mm. Um, so there's that brand, and then right before that, or right behind that, was Char S C H A R. That's made a ton of gluten free vegan breads and rolls uh, that we also buy. Unfortunately, they put honey in a couple of their 
recipes. I'm, I'm on them constantly. Just like change that one ingredient. You don't understand what you're missing here. But they're all egg free too. So char bread, they make some nice rolls and that's good. That, and yeah. I saw you, BJ picked up a comment on your blog that there was one of the brands was from California and you said, oh, one more reason to move to California. Are we going to be seeing you out there <laughs> someday? Where we're headed. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Um, yeah, that was a, a sourdough bread. Yeah. A bakery in California had posted a, an article. And so I emailed them and I said, hey, my wife is gluten-free and our house is gluten-free and vegan. We got to try your bread. And they're like, oh yeah, we'll ship it out tomorrow. And it was amazing stuff. Um, a lot of my clients... Um, a lot of it because of Miyoko, but a lot of my clients are in California, which is really great. There's so much happening there in the vegan world. Um, and it gives me a three hour head start on their day. So it's noon and I'm going to lunch just as they're getting to their desk. So I finished most of their work before they even get there. It's, it's worked out great. So I don't know if I'll, we'll move out there. Jen went to college at Humboldt, so she loves it out there. Uh, not impossible could be on our short list, but we like right. it. Here well, right we'll now. stay in touch. We'll let, we don't know yeah. where we're going to land. Know, so right? we'll <laughs> let you know where we're going to land. Um, all right. I think I'll probably wrap it up. When's the book coming out? Uh, August, 2017. So a year from now. So um, exciting. yeah, I'm so excited there. There's four editors right now that are looking at it all from a different perspective too, which is great. There's an animal rights person reading it. There's a chef reading it. There's a, a comedy writer reading it because I want him to like, hey, fix my punchlines. That wasn't funny enough. So I'm really giving it due diligence. I'm putting uh, as much effort as possible into the 82,000 words that I wrote for this book. It's a thick one. And so by October 1st, so I'll have the whole month of September to make all of the edits that are coming in now. And so by October 1st, I'll hand it off to the publisher. Uh, they will presumably, based on the feedback I've gotten thus far, approve the manuscript with whatever changes they want. Uh, and then it starts to hit their sales cycle in early January and February for an August launch for fall launch. Wonderful. So, and it's yeah. all about the pre-sale. Yeah, the pre-sale. Yeah, no, right? yeah. 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 So we'll keep our eye on that and get that yeah. out to our audience Thanks. as well. And if people want to know more about you, where do they find you? Well, meatyvegan.com is, is a good place I to love start. That name. It's <laughs> you know? so great. Um, so that's my blog. And then thinktankcreative.com is my business. Uh, yeah, by all means, anybody who has any questions about going vegan, about veganism, about my business and, and my blog, please uh, send me an email, get in touch with me. Uh, again, very open to uh, helping others. Awesome. And then let's leave, let's leave them with one word to the why. So somebody who's like, because unfortunately what's happening is like our food system is, is really set up to dupe people, to really keep them confused. And then when we get confused, a lot of times we abandon. So what would be one thing that you could say that they could start doing? Just one thing a day that could get them more on track towards eating a vegan diet? Yeah, I think the tip of um, what you have available, it can't be, you can't beat that tip. If, you're, if you are eating at home, if you're eating out constantly, it's a whole other challenge. But if you're having any meals at home, if you're making meals at home, buy organic, buy vegetables that you like. I, I love cucumbers. I don't like eggplants. I mean, I'll eat them, but I'm not going to seek them out. So if you keep filling your refrigerator and your pantry with foods that you love, then you're going to eat those foods. And it just so happens pasta is vegan. Eat as much pasta as you want. Potatoes, there I go again with the potatoes. French fry them, hassle back them, mash them, whatever you want to do. Potatoes are vegan. All of these things. Just fill your house with only the vegan stuff and not even the vegan fake stuff yet. I mean, if you want to go that route, that's great. But just really make that stuff available and on hand and 
the rest will fall into place. You'll find yourself, as you say, your palate changes, your desire changes. You'll sit in a restaurant and say, you know what, I'm going to get this instead. And, and that's a, 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 great play, a great starting point, I think. That's awesome. I think that's a great ending point. Eric, thank <laughs> right. you so much. Well, thank you, too. You're wonderful. I'm so glad we whipped this together. And this yeah. is awesome. And thanks for letting Clark be here. Oh, and I just want to say, Clark is one day into being fully vegan. Yes. So we're yes. going to see how he does on it. <laughs> kimchi's vegan. There's a part uh, part of my blog. If you t- if you type in kimchi, you'll see that our dog is vegan. So she's, okay. she's oh, very perfect. healthy. Yeah. I love it. Well, we'll definitely be reading it. All, All right. right. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was great. So what did you guys think? Eric Lindstrom, meaty vegan, skeptical vegan. Did you love it? I just... It's just so awesome because it shows you what is possible. You know, we think that that we're never going to do things or that we're we're always going to be this way. And you just never know what life's going to throw at you, right? So this model that BJ and I have is just we wake up in the mornings and we say, I'm awake and ready. I'm awake and ready. Are you awake and ready? Are you awake enough to see the subtle energies and the signs that the universe is sending you? Are you awake enough to even feel the deep passion and the dreams that lie deep inside your heart? Are you awake and ready to go after those dreams, to walk into the unknown, to push your limits and see the possibilities? Because I have to tell you guys, after all these years of meditation, I can tell you that our possibilities are limitless, but we have to get in touch with ourselves first. So you just never know what's going to come your way. I hope you enjoyed the show today. And no, we have not gone to Taco Bell yet. But I have to tell you, I'm making this promise right now to our friend Eric and to all of you guys out there. Between now and when we land in California, we are going to get a vegan chalupa at Taco Bell. I'm just going to do it out of love for this podcast, for the time that Eric gave us, and in honor of his book that's coming out. And we will document when we do that. But right now we're in Boulder and I just can't foresee during our stay that we're going to be going to Taco Bell when there's so much available here. But again, I'm not going to put any limits on my life. So we'll just see what happens. We'll let you know when our car goes through the drive-thru, which is going to be something that I have not done in decades. So I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Keep the feedback coming. Go to iTunes, leave your review, ride the high vibe, and maybe... Just maybe start crowding out that plate with more plants.